I got a story for you this morning. So after dying in a car crash, don't worry, it gets better. After dying in a car crash, three friends, uh, they go up to heaven and they have to sit in the orientation room. Uh, So they're sitting there in the orientation room of heaven and a, a big mighty angel comes on out and he asks them a question. And he says, uh, we can pipe in your funeral into this room. And so when you are in the casket and your friends and your family are mourning over you, what would you like to hear them say about you? And so immediately the first guy says, oh, I'd like to hear them say he was just one of the greatest doctors and and a really great family man. You know, that's what I'd love to hear them say. Of course, the second one right away said, I would love for them to say that he was a wonderful husband and he was a great teacher. He really helped the children in our community learn more and grow more. And then the third man thought about it for a moment and he looked up and he said, well, I guess I'd like to hear them say, look, he's moving. (laughs) Guy that thinks like me. Better pray after that one. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for the joy of the Lord. We pray now that as we talk about this special day, Jesus, that you would open up our hearts afresh and open up our minds to receive what you'd have. In Jesus' name, amen. Max Lucado. That sounded like an ouchie. Max Lucado, uh, in, in his famous book, Six Hours, One Friday, he tells the story of a missionary, a missionary who went down to Brazil in the era where there were still, and there may still be, uh, some tribes that were really cut off from the rest of the world and still quite primitive. And as he came to one particular tribe, he noticed that a disease was working its way through the tribe and that people were dying daily. Across the river, not too far, was a hospital where they all could receive medical attention. So when he, when he tried to get the tribe to come with them to cross the river, they said, no, 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 we can't. In this river, there is an evil spirit that lives. And if we go into the river, we'll surely die. And the missionary said, no, I swam through the river to get here. How do you think I got here? You won't die. Come with me. I'll show you. So they picked up their spears and they picked up their stuff. And they, the whole tribe came to the bank of the river and he put down his hands and he splashed some water on his face and he went up and he went, ta-da, I'm alive. And the tribal leader looked at him and said, uh, I'm sorry, sir, but we're not very impressed. And so the missionary said, okay. And so he went down deeper into the water, and they're all watching, and he's splashing around. He's going, hey, see, look, I'm I'm not dead. And, of course, the tribal leader said again, no, 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 we're, we're still not impressed. So finally, the missionary said, okay. And he turns around, and he dives into the bottom of the river, and he's going to swim underwater to the other side. While he's underwater, the tribesmen begin to... To, to shriek in fear because they think that the river has swallowed the young missionary and they're never going to see him again. But then, a few moments later, all of a sudden, coming out on the other side was this huge fist that came out of the water first. 
and the missionary leaped up on the shore of the other side. He started doing his Rocky Balboa dance and he was jumping and he was saying, come on, it's safe to come over. And one by one, the people of the tribe dropped their spears, dropped all their belongings, and they began to dive in the river that they believed would kill them. But they had saw the missionary go through and come out the other side alive. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He entered the river of death and he came out the other side so that we will no longer fear death. Amen. Amen. But find eternal life in him. Often uh, I get asked as a pastor, hey, Tom, how'd you get into this gig? I mean, why, why do you roll this way? What, 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 is, you know, what happened where you decided to become a Christian, and then, and then worse, you, you became a pastor. You know, what, I mean, what, what was the thought process behind all that? And over the years, I, I've had some great stories to tell, uh, stories where God miraculously healed somebody or uh, where there was you know, just some supernatural activity that happened that was undeniably uh, the power of God. But, but here's what I've noticed. For a lot of people, you could hear all of those kinds of stories until you're blue in the face. But in the end, there's kind of a walking away going, yeah, well, that happened to you. That didn't necessarily happen to Mary. You know, as a pastor, sometimes we get the advantage of kind of a front row seat because we're one of the first ones called when, when, when someone's really hungry for the power of God to happen. And so we're, we're, a lot of times we see it because we're there. And, and there's a, you know, a, a list of things I've piled up over the years where I've undeniably seen God's power, but for a lot of people that it is kind of that, wow, that, that happened for you, but I don't know if that would happen for me. And that, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't know. And I was thinking about this the other day, you know, what, what is it really? If you took all those away, you know, all, all those circumstantial things away, Tom, at the crux of it, what is the heart of your faith in Jesus? Because you're giving the best years of your life to this. Hands down, in three words, he is alive. He is alive. I don't know where he is. He's not here. The Bible is very clear. He ascended off of earth into heaven. But somewhere in heaven, Jesus is alive. He's living. I believe with all my heart. I will meet him someday as I leave the biosphere and enter into the kingdom of heaven. There will be a chance to see him, the person who we're talking about today. He is alive. I was looking at one of my Facebook friends once and under religious affiliation, you know, they got that little thing in your profile. You know, people, some people put Methodist, some people put Catholic, some people put Buddhist, whatever. I just love what they wrote. He's alive. Didn't even have to say Christian. He's alive. He's alive. That is the crux of everything Christianity hinges on. If he's not alive, there is no hope. If he's not alive, I can't tell you death is a safe thing. But he is alive. Live long enough. You'll see his power here on the earth. It'll happen. Turn with me if you would. This morning I thought it would be wonderful to read the Easter story, the resurrection, the story of the resurrection. Go straight to Matthew 28. 
chapter 1. It says this. Now remember, the context is Jesus had just been crucified on Friday, and it was a quick, it was a quick execution. I mean, if there ever was a quick and dirty uh, hit, Jesus was it. Because the Jews were going to celebrate Passover at sundown on Friday night. So they needed to get Jesus dead and buried before that happened because it was against their ritual purifications to not. So Jesus was quickly disposed of, and he was put in a tomb rather quickly. And three days later, uh, they were going to come back and finish what they started. And so Matthew picks up at that point. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, a big, large, heavy stone. It would take you know, multiple men to move, was rolled back, which would have covered up Jesus' body and particularly over time, the smell that would have come out of that tomb from his dead body. Verse 3, his appearance, the angel's appearance, was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and become, became like dead men. They literally suffered a paralysis of the central nervous system, wet canatonic, but we, don't, we aren't told they were necessarily knocked out. We know from other gospels they weren't. They, they saw some of this happen and actually went to report what they had seen. And so the guards are aware they're just crippled by fear. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said he would. Come and see the place where he lay. Then quickly go and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. You can underline that one because Jesus is going to repeat that, and every time the Bible repeats itself, it's a big deal. It's kind of like a worthy of note. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Isn't that a fitting description? For, for those of you who have ever encountered something supernatural, for those of you who have been close to it, there's a weird mixture of fear and joy. The fear is obvious. When things like that happen that are beyond the control of the natural realm, we realize how powerless sometimes we really are in the grand scheme of life. But where does the joy come from? I think it comes from the fact that every single one of us, deep down somewhere, we're like, you know, I really think it's true. I really... I, 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 I want to believe there's got to be more to life than just cells and electrons and, you know, and when we come close to it and touch it just a little bit, there's almost a joy like, yes, I knew it was true. I knew it was real. This is exactly what the women are going through. We, we, we had a sense this was going to happen and we're so glad it did. But there's also a fear involved with it too. So they began to run to tell the disciples what they've seen. And in verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, they clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Many people wonder, what will we look like after we die? Not quite sure. 
what I can tell you is this. You will be known for who you are because they knew who Jesus was. They would not have worshipped any other man. They knew it was Jesus. Of course, Thomas, in another gospel, he would literally put his hands into the wound of Jesus to prove that he had come back to life. Verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, which would have been to the north, go up north, and once again, there they will see me. Uh, there's an article I just saw a few days ago, probably in, in preparation for Easter, where a professor has come up with a new theory, uh, a theory that a lot of skeptics are, are really, they like. And the theory is this, you know, the Shroud of Turin? Uh, it's this mythical shroud that, that laid on Jesus' dead body, and of course they kept it, and it has the imprint of Jesus on it as a double negative. And this professor says what the resurrection really was is when Jesus went to heaven, his body irradiated through the cloth, produced the double negative, but now he's in heaven. And what his apostles did was they showed everybody this shroud, this double negative of Jesus and said, look, he's alive, he's risen. No. <laughs> Flush that one down the toilet. The disciples wouldn't have died for a picture. They wouldn't have risked going against the Roman Empire for a double negative on a piece of cloth. We would not have the church we have today if they weren't convinced with all their heart Jesus beat death and he beat it on his own terms. Amen? Amen. Let's unpack this. Number one, death. A recent study from New York University, there's a professor who was studying fear, and he expected that the number one fear of all people would be speaking in public. How many of you are afraid to do that? I am myself, believe it or not. You don't have to put your hands up. That was a rhetorical question. But uh, he thought that, you know, that, that, would, that, that statistically that's always been the big fear. But to his surprise, the biggest fear that people documented was the fear of death and dying. Why? Because I think for many of us, we truly think that death is the end. It's the end of the party. It's where it's all over. All the fun is gone. We're dead. We're worm food. There, there's no, nothing more to do. You did what you did. The resurrection says something loud and clear. Death is not the end of life. Death is not the end of life. It is merely the separation from the body. That's what death is. Death is not the end. You will be very aware two seconds after you die as you're being separated from the body, separated from the biotic world, Point number one is, 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 is Jesus' statement. And no one was really sure. The Jews didn't know. They kind of knew. I mean, they had some people who believed in resurrection, some who didn't, some who believed there was life after death, some that wasn't. You know, there, there was a, a lot of confusion in this, and Jesus stamped, the stamped out the confusion and said, there is life after death. You will live after you die. Death is merely the separation of the immortal soul from the body. It is not the end of life. Amen? Number two is denial. You know, recently on a, on a trip to Disneyland, I thought to myself, life 
is a lot like a day at Disneyland, isn't it? You start out and you go into the park and you're full of energy. Starting out life full of it. You start out just full of energy. You want to go on the most thrilling rides in the beginning. If you do it at the end, you'll puke. You know, you want to go, uh, you're willing to wait in the long lines. You know, oh, 85 minutes, I got all day. Sure, I'll wait in that, you know. By the middle of the day, something switches. You realize, all right, half the day's gone by. I only got half the day left. So now you begin to plan out which rides you're going to go on. Kind of like the middle of life. Wait a minute. Some of this is already over. I, I got to start making some, some, some intentional plans here. Then, of course, toward the end of the day, it gets real erratic because you know you've got to pick that final ride or that final attraction because ultimately the park is going to close and they'll kick you out if you try to stay. You can almost get this sense of, man, no, this is not going to end. This can't end. Man, I can't go home, back to my boring routine and responsibilities and going into work and brushing my teeth and all, you know, all this stuff. Man, I, I don't want to go back to that. I want to stay in this. But we have this sense. It's going to be over soon. Third point is depression. The last church I served at, uh, after the service, the pastor had asked me to come and pray with an older gentleman, with him. And the older gentleman, when we asked him, what would you like prayer for? He said, I don't want to die. And of course, you know, oh, are, are you sick? Are you, are you, are you injured? Are, you know, what, what's, what's the prognosis? No, none of that. I'm just old and I don't want to die. And I remember afterward, I kind of pulled my pastor aside and I said, what was that? That just felt kind of creepy to me. And he said, Tom, you, you'll experience this over the course of your ministry. Something happens as we approach 60 where we begin to get kind of in a funk, uh, what they call mortality depression. When we begin to realize that we have fewer years ahead of us than we do behind us. When you're 16, you're not thinking about dying. You're thinking about living. You got your whole life ahead of you. You'll take care of that stuff later. When you're in the middle of your life, you're too busy. You can't think about all that. You got to take care of it later. But when you're approaching 60, all of a sudden you realize looking back, time is running out to think about it. But here's the thing. You don't really have to think about it, do you? Because as, your age, as you age, your body begins to tell you something, doesn't it? Your body begins to tell you, you will not live forever. Amen? We know the clock is ticking, and facing reality can be sometimes kind of hard. We begin to feel our heartbeat almost like a ticking time bomb, knowing there's only so many of those left. St. John of the Cross called it the dark night of the soul, that once a human being faces his or hers mortality, that we can begin to get in a funk. We don't want the party to be over. We don't want this to end. We don't want all this to go away. And we can get very gloomy because we still are not sure if death is the end or not. 
we take that last breath and we'll wake up to something else or wake up to nothing. But if Jesus' resurrection says anything, death is not the end of life. It's merely the separation from the body. He's alive. Amen? Amen. My fourth point is daybreak. In the mountains of Washington, the few times I camped up there, I remember I, out, outdoors I wake up early in the morning. Indoors I can sleep till noon. But outdoors I wake up early in the morning. Something about the cold air or whatever. And, and in Washington particular, Washington is north of here. And <laughs> most of you know that, don't you? <laughs> most of you figured that one out. But for those of you who don't know, the great state of Washington is north of here. And the days are longer. I don't know if you've ever been up there, but uh, in the summertime, it'll stay light out till 11 o'clock at night there. It'll, the sun will come up at 4.30 in the morning. And so you know, because of it's a longer day, an interesting thing happens. The sky gets all lit up, but the sun hasn't come up yet. I mean, it, it can look like it's you know, really bright out there, but the sun hasn't come up yet. And so one of these times, I remember I was watching this, and I was thinking, wow, for like one of the first times of my life, I'll see the sunrise. And, and obviously, you know, I typically sleep past the sunrise, but this particular morning I was up. And so I'm sitting there watching it. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It is one of the most incredible things. I'm looking, I'm watching. The clouds are turning gold and sparkly red. And then there's the outline of the horizon and it's, kind of getting red, orange, and all of a sudden, that first ribbon of the sun begins to peek up over the horizon, and it just blasts you, right? And you're looking at it, and it's just this, I mean, it's like the second coming, you know? It's, it's like this moment, you know, where you can almost hear the angels singing and the choir's going for it, you know? Ah, and, and there was something about the daybreak that just the night was over, the morning light was gone, daybreak had arrived. And that is, I think, the best metaphor for Easter. It's daybreak for the human soul. It's daybreak, that moment when the glory of God begins to shine on us in a way we could never imagine. No more, no more, death is the end. No more need for denial. No more gloomy depression. No more, I better live this life to the fullest because this life is all we got. No more regrets, no more worry, no more saying goodbye. We will see each other again. No more wondering, is there something more out there? No more searching for a better place and a better time. No more suffering. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more hoping that somebody doesn't find out that secret about your life. No more rejection. No more heartache. And no more fear of death. Amen. It's gone. Daybreak has come in heaven. Listen, in heaven, there's colors we haven't even seen yet. 
in heaven. There's music we haven't even heard yet. In heaven, there's cities and houses we can't even imagine. In heaven, there's food. Oh, food. There's food we haven't even tasted. In heaven, there is a kind of love we have never experienced. In heaven, there is peace like no other. In heaven, you will have friends like you never thought you could have. And you'll never be afraid they'll betray you. Looking back, it will seem like this life was just one long night. Even if it had moments of fun, heaven will be like the breaking of the dawn. Why do I talk like this? How can a grown, rational man speak like this and not sound silly or not feel stupid or ashamed? How? Why? Because with all my heart, I believe he's alive. I really do. I'll close with the story. Little Philip was born with a condition called Down syndrome. And in recent years, there's been more studies on Down syndrome where we realize that boys and girls with Down syndrome are a little more aware of their surroundings than we previously thought. Particularly, they are aware that they're different and they feel and experience rejection from a lot of society. One day, Philip, when he was in third grade, he was in church and he really wanted to go to the Sunday school class. His mom had never let him go into the Sunday school class because he was afraid that the boys and girls at church would reject him or make fun of him or pick on him, and she just couldn't bear to see her boy suffer any more than he already had at eight years old. But Philip pressed the issue. Mom, I really want to go to Sunday school. I really want to do the lessons like other kids. Mom, please, will you let me go? The mother finally relented, and Philip went into the Sunday school class. And true to his mother's fears, the kids all knew he was different. They treated him from a distance. Very few knew how to talk to him and were afraid to talk to him. He didn't look the same. He didn't act the same. One day, the teacher went around and said, what kind of prayer requests would you like to give before God today? And all the boys went around, oh, I'd like to pray for a new puppy, or I'd like to, you know, pray that God would take away my little sister, or, you know, all these kinds of things. <laughs> And when it came to Philip, Philip just said, I, I pray that I wouldn't be different anymore. I just want to be normal. It broke the teacher's heart. The Sunday after Easter, uh, you ladies, especially you ladies from the 80s will remember this. Remember the pantyhose that came in those big egg-looking cartons? Oh, come on now, admit it. You know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> The pantyhose that came in those big, giant, egg-looking things. Their legs. 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 
the teacher brought in a bunch of the legs without the pantyhose. And they were empty, and she gave an assignment to the class, and she said, class, I'd like you to go out and find what your symbol for new life would be. So they all went out, and some got a flower, and some got a a leaf, a couple got bugs, you know, as kids do. And so they began to open them in class, and the teacher would say, oh, wow, what's this? And And the boy would be able to explain it. Well, when she got to Phillip's, she opened up Philip's egg and there was nothing in there. And all the boys and girls, they began to laugh and tease him and you know, say, hey, that's not fair. He didn't do the assignment right. Come on. And, and even the teacher was just kind of saying, you know, Philip, what gives right? We asked you to, you know, and, and all of a sudden there was a little bit of a roar and they were all in, in, a, in a horrible moment just kind of picking on this kid. And finally he said as best he could with Down syndrome, he said, I did do the assignment. I did so do it. I did it. It's empty. Don't you remember? It's empty. The tomb was empty. That is new life for me. The classroom was silent. Sometimes you hear truth, and sometimes you experience it. That day, that class, experienced it. Philip died not long afterward from an infection that most children would have shrugged off. At the funeral, this class of eight-year-olds marched up the altar not with flowers, but with their big, empty pantyhose eggs. And one by one, around the coffin, they placed and opened those eggs all around the dead little boy. As they began to walk out, one little boy came back and placed piece of paper on the closed casket. The next person came up and read the note, and the note read like this. Philip, now you are normal, and we are different. Now you are normal, and we are different. Bow your heads with me. This morning is the morning where we celebrate. Celebrate Jesus being alive, filled with glory, filled with power. That it's not silly, that it's not stupid, that it's not irrational. That two seconds after we die, the greatest thing we'll experience is the strong hand of Jesus pulling us out of the biosphere into heaven to be with him. This morning, I can't think of a better morning for any of us, Easter 2012, 
to become like Philip, to become normal like he became, to shed off our differences. To say either for the first time, and this isn't something we're born into, at some point, every human being, we make that choice. We make a decision. We decide for or against. And this morning, I'd like to give you an opportunity in the midst of God's people here, in the midst of the church, to make that decision for. Whether it's for the first time or whether you're coming home, you're coming back, coming back to the faith of your youth. Please join me in just raising your hands if you want to come back home to Christ right now. To rise with the daybreak. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Come on. Amen. 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 Let me put your hands down. Two seconds after we pass from this world into the next, and you see this man who you've chosen to be his follower today, you'll have two words burning in your heart. And those two words are simply this. No regrets. No regrets. In Jesus' name, amen.